Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Flora. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.fbcflora.org. So I want to ask you today as I um, move into the message today, who is the, who is the most powerful person you know? Who's the most powerful person you know? Maybe your thought goes to, uh, and maybe not personally know, but somebody that you may think right, that's the most powerful, a community leader, a governmental leader, a, a president, a king, a prince, a, a prime minister, a Supreme Court justice. You might think, okay, those are the folks, those are some folks that have power. Maybe you think about it. Uh, maybe you think about a, your parents, uh, your dad, your mom, or your grandfather, grandmother, somebody like that, a family member that you consider them to have some power and influence. Uh, maybe you think about a coach, a teacher, a professor, somebody like that. Maybe you think about a business person or a corporate executive, somebody that's got some influence, power because of their position in society or the position in the business world or whatever it may be. So different ideas about maybe who we think is the most powerful person. And the truth of the matter is all of those people have some power in those realms uh, that they live in. Uh, family, business, uh, education, government. They have power in those areas of influence. But I would submit to you today, I would submit to you today that the most powerful person you know is the person who prays. The most powerful person you know is the person who prays. Alfred Lord Tennyson said, more things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of. The most powerful person you know is the person who prays. Listen, the movers and the shakers of the world, they attempt to bring change by their influence. The, the, the po po politicians attempt to bring change by passing laws. The, the, the investors in, attempt to bring change by their financial dealings. And while all of these have their place, the way true, lasting change happens is when God's people do one thing, consistently, fervently, and persistently, and that one thing is prayer. That's when change begins to happen. Luis Palau is a, an evangelist that has made tremendous impacts, a very powerful evangelist in, in, in his own right, in his own world of, and realm of influence. But Luis Palau said this, he said, you can read all the manuals on prayer and listen to other people pray, but until you begin yourself to pray, you will never understand prayer because it's like riding a bike or swimming, you learn by doing. And so I want to share with you today that we're going to talk about prayer. And I want to tell you something, this is going to be a simple sermon. So bunch of y'all ought to get it, all right? This is going to be a simple sermon. This is going to be a, a simple sermon. It will be on a subject that you have heard many preachers preach on. It'll be on a subject that you have heard many teachers teach on. Ricky Blythe, former pastor of this church, I texted him and texted a bunch of folks this week and asked them, why is prayer important? 
Ricky Blythe, former pastor of this church, still a beloved member of this church, serving at the Mississippi Baptist Convention Board now. Ricky Blythe said, prayer is the Christian's greatest secret weapon that can be launched anywhere at any time and hits its target every time. Joe Cole, former pastor of this church, my college roommate, first year at Mississippi College. Brother Joe Cole, I texted him, said, why is prayer important? Joe Cole said, if Jesus needed to pray, why in the world would I think I can do anything without it? Dr. Steve Stone, one of the guys that helped me in my doctoral work, great friend of mine and a great friend of this church and served as interim pastor of this church and served at Mississippi Baptist Convention Board for a long time and retired and still serving the Lord. And Dr. Steve Stone, when I asked him why is prayer important, Steve Stone said prayer provides two-way communication with God so we can discover His will for our lives and then act on that will to impact His kingdom on earth. Dwayne Parker that name is very well known around this church family for 23 plus years, served this church faithfully, serving at the Mississippi Baptist Convention Board. Now, I, I guess that's where guys go when they leave here. I, I guess that's my next step. I don't, but but uh, Dwayne, Dwayne said, when I asked him, why is prayer important? Dwayne Parker said, prayer is essential because it is my connection to the Heavenly Father through which I experience an intimate relationship with Him. Michael Nanny, our student pastor, Michael said, prayer is a lifeline. Without it, we are utterly hopeless. Matt Hines, Matt said, shared, prayer is important because it allows us to experience the joy of speaking with our Father, the peace when He listens and answers our cries, and the power when we see the realization of our prayers manifesting into our lives and the lives of others. Mark Sandifer, our executive pastor who did the welcome this morning, Mark said, prayer allows me, why is prayer important? Mark said, prayer allows me to draw closer to God and His will for my life. But let me tell you who summed it all up. Our own Cindy Sansing. When I texted Cindy and I asked her, I said, why is prayer important? She said this, prayer works. Amen. <laughs> I mean, that sums it all up. That sums up everything about prayer, everything that we believe. We understand and believe and know that prayer works, not because we're special, but because the God of all creation hears the cries and the prayers of His people and moves in response to our cries. Amen? That's why prayer works. That's why prayer is powerful. That's why prayer can be launched anywhere, anywhere, anytime, like a, like a missile, and it will hit its target every time. That's why. And so I will make some points in this sermon that you've most likely heard before. Some points that maybe you've even heard from me. I've been here four years as your pastor and we've talked a lot about prayer. We've done a whole lot of praying and we're going to do a whole lot more praying. On Wednesday nights, our midweek service, come and be a part of that at 6.30 on Wednesday nights. Incredible time of worship on Wednesday nights. Come and be a part of that. We talk about prayer and do prayer a lot on Wednesday night. We're praying in every service now. We talked about it. We talk about I talk about it all the time. I have 30, at least, at least 34 books on prayer in my own personal library. And last year, I read 16 of them last year on my prayer list. Read 16 of those books. I'm not bragging about that. I'm just saying that that's why we believe. I believe that prayer is so important as your pastor 
It's one of the things the Word of God says I'm supposed to do. Now I'll come visit the hospitals and I'll help do different things around the church. We'll talk about how to do it. But there's two things that the Word of God says I'm supposed to do. And that is to do what I'm doing right now. Stand in this pulpit and proclaim the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And then the Word of God says as the pastor, I'm supposed to pray. And I promise you I'll do those two things. So why preach on prayer again? It's simple. Your life depends on it. Your life depends on prayer. The depth, the maturity, the vibrancy, the passion of your spiritual life, if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior. Now, if you don't know Jesus and you're in this room, I'm glad that you're here. There's one prayer that you need to pray. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans 10, 13. There's one prayer if you don't know Christ. There's one prayer you need to pray right now. And that is call out to Jesus in prayer and ask him to save you. And become a child of God. But if you know Christ, the depth and the vibrancy and the passion of your spiritual life depends on prayer. Your, your marriage depends on prayer. Your life as a single adult depends on prayer. Your family depends on you praying. Your school studies, if you're a student, depends on praying. How many students have prayed? God, please help me with this exam coming up. I mean, I mean your, your school studies, your, 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 your school activities, the football field, the baseball field, the basketball court, the cheerleading squad, the choir, the band, the drama team, your school activities depend on prayer, your work, your business, your, your finances depend on prayer. This church family depends on your prayer. Your mental health depends on prayer. Your future depends on prayer. Everything in your life depends on prayer. Everything. So grab your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 18. Verses 1 through 8 is page 877 in the Pew Bible if you don't have your copy of God's. So I hope you got yours with you, but if you don't, grab a Pew Bible and turn to Luke chapter 18, page 877. And we'll read the first eight verses. Would you stand please for the reading of God's Word? The parable of the persistent widow. And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected men. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down with her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? And may God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Help us, Father, as we gather around your word one more time. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much, God, for the privilege to preach your word again today. 
Speak to us, Holy Spirit. Teach us. We need to hear and we need to respond in obedience. And only you can help us do that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks so much. You may be seated. So if you've been here over the last few weeks, you know that we've been in this parables series. This parables series reminds you that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. How do you, it teaches that Jesus used these parables to teach people how to function in the kingdom of God, to be a follower of Christ and to function in the kingdom. Who's in the kingdom? Who's not in the kingdom? How do you do? We've talked about the parable of the sower. We've talked about the parable of the uh, Good Samaritan. Last week we talked about the parable of the prodigal son. And today we wrap this series up with the parable of the persistent widow. But the truth of the matter is the sower, the Good Samaritan, the prodigal son, all of these are undergirded by prayer. That's why it's so important. So there's an application for this message that I'll make today, and that is Christ's followers must persevere in prayer. That's it. Christ's followers must persevere in prayer. So today I want to ask you three simple questions. Again, I told you, a simple sermon. It's going to be three simple questions. Question number one is this, why do we persevere in prayer? Why do we persevere in prayer? Well, there's a couple of reasons for that. Number one is because of its imperative. Because of its imperative. The Word of God teaches us this, it teaches us this thing, the, the imperative of prayer so clearly. Right here, right here, verse number one, Jesus himself said it so clearly. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought, what's the word? Look at it. Verse 1, what does it say? They ought to do what? Always. Always. If you've got the ESV, that's what it says. Always to pray and never give up. They ought always to pray. The word always in the Greek means forever. <laughs> it means forever. You keep praying forever. You pray. It means constant prayer. It means continuous prayer. This, this parable comes after the Sermon on the Mount. You remember that in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught on prayer. He said, when you pray, do it this way. When you fast, do it this way. His disciples told him, asked him, said, would you teach us to pray? He said, yeah, I sure will. Pray like this. Our Father, Daddy, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And so Jesus did that. But then here he is later saying, you ought always to pray and don't ever give up. Jesus taught the imperative of prayer. Paul taught it too. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, great memory verse right here. You want to memorize the verse of Scripture? Here you go. Pray without ceasing. Say that. Pray without ceasing. You just memorized a, a Bible verse. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Paul said it. The Apostle, uh, 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 go back to the Old Testament. David said it. Jot this verse down, Psalm 86 verse 3. Psalm 86, verse 3, David said, Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I am calling on you constantly. The Apostle Peter said it, 1 Peter 4, 7. The imperative of prayer, 1 Peter 4, 7. Peter said, Be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. 
Paul told, uh, told the people in Colossae, in, in the book of Colossians, the letter to the Colossian church. He said, you got a good pastor. His name is Epaphras. He's a good pastor. He works hard for you. And this is what he said about Epaphras in Colossians 4.12. This is one of my verses as your pastor. This is who I want to be. I want to be like Epaphras. Because Paul said this about Epaphras in Colossians 4.12. He said, this dude, your pastor, he prays constantly and earnestly for you. The imperative of prayer. Jesus taught it. Paul taught it. David taught it. Paul taught it. Epaphras did it. The imperative of prayer, we persevere because of the imperative. And secondly, why do we persevere? Because of the alternative. <laughs> Jesus said you ought to always pray and not lose heart. You've got, you got, you got two things you can do. You can either pray or you can quit. The alternative to pers persevering in prayer is just to quit. Just lose heart. Just give up. Just quit. Don't do it. To faint. To give up. Pray or quit. That's your choice. That's why we persevere in prayer. That's simple question number one. Why do we persevere in prayer? Simple question number two is what happens when we persevere in prayer? What happens? Well, number one, strength happens. Strength happens when we persevere in prayer. The, the, the widow in this parable was weak and helpless. My mama's a widow. We have widows in this room right now. And I worry about mama. Physically, she's growing weaker. She ain't helpless. Now, man, she'd knock me upside the head if I said she was helpless, but she is physically weak. And I worry about her sometimes. I get concerned about her sometimes. But in biblical times, a widow was completely vulnerable, completely helpless. She had nothing. And if she didn't have kids, then she was, uh, she suffered double adversity. So this woman was completely helpless. She had no husband to stand up against the adversary. This adversary, this enemy, whoever he is coming against her, had nobody to stand up for her against her adversary. Desperately weak. I will tell you something, prayer, prayer brings the strength of the almighty God of the universe into our lives and into our situations. Last week we preached on the prodigal. Saw tears all across this room as soon as I started the sermon last week. Tears began to flow in this room as people in this room started thinking about their prodigal, their son, their daughter, their grandson, their granddaughter, who's a prodigal, who's out there far away from the Lord right now. You praying for them brings the strength of God into that situation. But John, I don't see any results. You keep praying. Don't stop. Don't stop. Because seemingly hopeless situations are impacted with the power of God when we pray. Just as the widow needed strength against her adversary, so you and I need the strength that only God can give against our adversary. And we know his name is Satan. And only prayer will bring the strength and the power of God against him. You know that passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 6, one of my favorite passages. 
Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20 is the whole armor of God thing. Paul says, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the enemy. And then he outlines and, and, and lists the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, belt of truth, shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace. You take up the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit. And a lot of people want to stop right there, but don't you dare stop. Because after Paul gives those pieces of the armor, then in verse 18 he says, pray on every occasion as the Spirit leads. He says, for this reason, keep alert and never, Paul said it, never give up. Pray always for God's people. That's in the middle of him talking about spiritual warfare against our enemy. Pray always. Don't you ever give up praying. Don't ever get praying. Because strength from the Lord comes as we keep on praying. So why? What happens when we persevere? Strength happens. Secondly, success happens. Success happens. Justice was granted. Granted to the widow because of her perseverance and her persistence. Justice was granted to the widow. Now I want to be very clear about something. Because you can get confused in this parable. You could say, you could think... That Jesus is comparing God to an evil judge. You could think that Jesus is saying, God is like this evil judge. That's not at all what Jesus is doing. He wouldn't dare call his heavenly father, his own father, an evil judge. But what he's doing is contrasting our loving heavenly father with this evil judge. Listen, God, Jesus is not saying that God is reluctant to answer our prayers. He's contrasting this judge with our, perfectly heaven, our perfect Heavenly Father who loves to take care of His children when we cry out to Him. The judge was unfair. God is perfectly fair. The judge had no personal interest in the widow. God answers us so we will continue to come to him in prayer. And then verse 7, it says there, the, new, the, the living Bible says, Don't you think that God will surely give justice to his people who plead with him day after day? And the answer to that is, of course he will. Of course he will. So strength happens. Success happens. And stories happen. You heard the story up here. Robert stood and gave his story. Stories happen when you keep on praying. Imagine, don't you know that that widow had a story to tell how this judge helped her and how she went and told that story. One of the greatest opportunities we have are the testimonies that we can share of how God has moved and answered our prayers. I want to give you one right now that happened last week. Incredible story. Blew me away. So last Sunday, last Sunday, I preached on the prodigal son. Talked about the prodigal. Finished up over in the refuge service. It was a, a mom and a daughter, grown daughter, sitting on the front row, first time that they had been in this church in about 15 years. I preach on the prodigal son. Preach on talk about prodigals and how you can't give up on them. Don't give up on them because God never gives up on them. After the service is over, either that afternoon or first thing Monday morning, I got an email from that mom. 
She, a long email, said, you're not. You just, I, I've got to tell you this story. The story of why they were in church. The story of her daughter's life. The difficulty that her daughter has been in over the last several years. And choices that this daughter has made. The prodigal that this daughter has been for a long time. And then they show up in church. First time in 15 years. And a preacher that they really don't even know. They're not members of this church. But a preacher that they don't really know gets up and preaches a sermon on the prodigal son. And talks about that. And the daughter is so enthralled. Now, I'm not talking, this isn't me, but the daughter is so taken by the message that God is bringing into her life. She wanted, but she's kind of shy, but she wanted to come forward in the invitation last Sunday. First time she's been in church in 15 years and wanted to come. That's a, well, that's a good story, John. What Paul Harvey says, let me tell you the rest of the story. Hey, pop that uh, slide up about bless every home. I, a couple of years ago, we, we offered this as an op option, an opportunity for you as church members to pray for the people around you, to bless every home in your neighborhood around you. All you got to do, and you can do it right now, you can scan that QR code, and then you sign up. And this is a cool website, and the people of this website, they find out, you put in your, your home address, and then it tells you the people that live around you. It tells you their names and their addresses, and you can just pray for them. The mama and the daughter who were sitting on the front row last Sunday morning live about three doors down from me on First Street. And for the last two years, nearly every week, their name pops up. Every, every morning. I'm just telling you how I do my quiet time. You do yours how you want to. But when I go into my prayer time on each morning, I take my phone out and I go to that website. It's an app on my phone. Pull it up and it gives me about five, seven names to pray for that day of people that live around me up there on First Street. For two years, I've been praying for this mama and her daughter by name and had no idea who they were. And then they showed up and sat on the front row of church last Sunday morning, and God exploded on them last Sunday. Amen. Let me tell you something. That's why you keep praying. That's why you keep on praying. Well, I don't, I don't, you keep praying. There's no way for us to know how God is working. One day, sometimes you get to see it. Sometimes you get to see it. Sometimes God says, hey, I'm going to give you a little glimpse into what I'm doing in response to the prayers that you're praying to me. A whole bunch of them we're not going to see until we get to heaven. And we're going to understand, oh, Lord, I see how you are working. We keep praying. What happens when we pray? Stories like that happen. At First Baptist Church of Flora, stories like that happen of lives that are going to be forever changed because God's people are praying. That's why we keep praying and we don't give up. And the last question is this, will Jesus find faith as you persevere in prayer? That's the last thing that Jesus said there in verse 8. He said, will, will, I, will I find faith? He says that, will, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? 
So the answer to that is, it, you know, that verse doesn't really feel like it's connected to the rest of this parable. It sort of feels like it's disconnected, but it is so connected. Because of all the things we do in our life as a Christ follower, prayer may be the most faith-driven component in our lives. You keep praying for people, you don't even know who they are. You, uh, but you trust and believe that God is working even when you don't know who they are. That's why I pray for you by name every week. Just call your name out to the Lord. Just call your name out to the Lord. Every Friday, call your name out to the Lord if you're a member of this church. Because I believe that that's all it takes is for God's people just to say, God, bless them. And just call. I don't, I don't have to have, know all the, the intricate details about your life. There's no way I can know all the intricate details of 1,400 members of this church. But I can say your name in prayer. And have the faith to believe that God's moving. We're talking and listening to a God that we can't see, but to a God that we absolutely believe is listening to us and answering us according to his will and for his glory and for our good. And so that's, you want to know how you can know that Jesus will find faith in you when he returns? You keep on praying and watch your faith grow. That's how you'll find, that's how he will find faith in you when he comes again. I know we're over time. I want to give you one more story and tell you all this. I get an email from a guy named Chuck Lawless, who's a missions professor at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. get an email from him a few times a week. Here's one I got this week, and I'll wrap up with this. The title of it is like a blog. The title of it is A Simple Word of Hope for All of Us Praying a Long Time for Non-Believing Loved Ones. Kind of a long title. A simple word of hope for all of us praying a long time for non-believing loved ones. Here we go. Just a simple thought today. At this time three years ago, ago, I and others had been praying for my mom's salvation for more than 46 years. Did you hear that? Been praying for my mom's salvation for more than 46 years. As I recall, nothing in those days suggested that mom was ready to follow Christ. She knew the facts of the gospel, but her, but head knowledge alone is not life transforming. So if all you got is head knowledge of Jesus' day, you're lost as you can be. Within just a month back then, though, my mom had turned to Christ. It didn't happen in a church worship service. It didn't take place in a church building. No other believers were immediately with her when she became a believer. Rather, she simply cried out to Jesus the best way she knew how. God heard and she reported to us what had happened. Her life was so dramatically changed for the six months she lived following her conversion. She only lived six months after she got saved. They didn't stop praying for 46 years. Her life was so dramatically changed for the six months she lived following her conversion that we could not doubt that her faith was real. God knew how, God knew how he was working in her heart, but we did not fully grasp that. There's that faith component. He knew his timing. We did not. There's that faith component. He was not surprised by her commitment, but we were, gratefully so, but still caught by surprise after praying so long for her. Frankly, we even even at first wondered how genuine her faith was, but God made that clear too. In the latter part of February 2021, we were still praying and hoping by the end of 
March that year, though, God had moved mightily in mom's life. In February, we were just weeks away from a miracle we were too little expecting. In March, we could only rejoice in gratitude. Perhaps your loved one for whom you've been praying for a long time is only a month or less away from turning to Christ, even if you don't recognize that movement today. Who knows? Perhaps a display of the life-changing power of the grace of God is just around the corner. May God let it be for you and for your loved one. That's why we pray and don't give up. Let's pray. Father, I've stood at this pulpit a bunch of times over the last four years, I guess four times 52 and a few Sundays out to go on vacation, stuff like that. It's a couple of hundred times. Of course, the first year was pandemic, but that's a whole nother story. But God, so at least a couple of hundred times stood in this pulpit before this group of people and prayed and believing that you're hearing and that you're responding. And we ask you, Lord, just to keep moving, keep working. God, maybe this is the day. And God, maybe this is the day that you're going to answer some prayers that Joe Cole prayed when he was pastor here. Maybe this is the day you're going to answer prayers that Ricky Blythe prayed when he was here. Maybe this is the day you're going to answer prayers that pastors back in the late 1800s, early 1900s prayed when they were pastor here. God, we're not going to give up. We're going to keep praying. If it takes 46 years, if it takes 460 years, Lord, we're not going to, we're not going to give up. So I pray now, God, whatever you want to do, in answer to the prayers of me and the Christ followers in this room and in days gone by, we ask you to answer their prayers today, even today, that somebody will get saved today because somebody has been praying for them. Somebody will come to faith in Christ. Somebody will turn their life around. Stop being a prodigal to come home to you because somebody's been praying for them for a long time and didn't give up. And somebody's going to finally join a church family because somebody's been praying that they, that they would find a place to connect with a church family. Somebody's going to give their life and surrender to ministry and be called to ministry because somebody's been praying for that for a long time. So I ask you to do that, Father. Just show your power and your glory and your majesty. And we're going to keep praying no matter what happens here. Lord, if nobody comes forward, that doesn't mean we're going to stop praying. That doesn't mean we're, oh, well, we failed. That just means we're going to keep on praying. So we trust you, Lord. Thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.